Pilly found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that's still recovering from its non-stop weekend vacation to Adelaide to celebrate the first ever edition of Gather Round. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog. I'm joined, of course, once again, I've spent the last few days pretty much attached to the hip of this uh, this gentleman who's about to join me, Nicola. Nick, welcome. Hello, Matthew. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Salty Bulldog. What is this, uh, episode seven or eight for this season, is it? Eight for Where the are we year. Tracking? Eight for the year. Uh, eight for the year. Wonderful, wonderful. So right now, the Salty Bulldog is in the top eight and the Bulldogs are not. So we need to work out that um, as we progress through the course of the episode and the season. Um, Gentlemen's a bit of a nice word, so thank you for that. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we had a we had a good time though. Put aside the uh, put aside the defeat. I thought we enjoyed ourselves very much at gather rounds, um, getting to see four games of football, and uh, a very long train ride back, which was actually strangely quite enjoyable too, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah, it was. So we've yeah, we might just do a, a bit of a, a bit of a recap because we don't often do a we don't often do an, an away day quite quite like this. So we flew up on the Friday morning. We saw two games on the Friday. We saw Fremantle Gold Coast and then Richmond Sydney at Redlegs. That was a wonderful uh, match in Norwood to, to at least uh, participate or witness more so than participate. Yeah, and then we spent Saturday, well, Saturday morning in the hotel, and we watched the Port Adelaide Bulldogs match of 2016. The logic behind that was it guaranteed we would see the Dogs beat Port Adelaide on the Saturday. That was the reason for for watching that particular match. We spent a bit of time wandering around the, the city of churches. We saw Rundle Mall. We saw the Essendon-Melbourne game. Obviously, we saw the Port Adelaide Bulldogs game. We just about managed to avoid pneumonia and then went back to the hotel Saturday night and uh, took the train, the overland, from Adelaide to Melbourne on the Sunday. So it was pretty nonstop. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit different. I'm not sure if I should be saying this, but uh, not that we uh, promote uh, gambling by any means. We were completely unsuccessful in four multis. We got very close, though. We got very close. A bit of fun for the Salty Bulldog to just have a bit of a treat. Um, but yeah, it's not something that we tend to do too often in that side of things. But it picked up our interest in the other three matches, though, didn't it? In that side of things. I really which match? Yeah, which one did you actually enjoy the most out of the other matches? I, I love the two Friday night games, or the Friday matches. The Fremantle Gold Coast and mm-hmm. um, Richmond Sydney. I, I really enjoyed those two games uh, because not only was it, well, that was the first time i had been to both of those stadiums, actually. Didn't really know what to expect with Norwood Oval and there was about 9,000 there. It was a wonderful atmosphere for, for two, I would say, two low-drawing sides in terms of crowd numbers and both have struggled a bit this year. And then we got to see a, a really interesting encounter between two of the bigger clubs in the competition in terms of membership bases. We got to a really good crowd as well, 42,000. It wasn't the sellout that the AFL were trying to promote or, or pass it off as, but it was a really it was a really good game I think as well. It was just nice to just enjoy a bit of football. 
think Gatherone had that real carnival-like atmosphere. It, that is it. That whole is a very good. It was pretty much festivus, as they would say in Seinfeld. Yeah. Footy, it didn't take a, it, it, footy didn't take itself too seriously. No. No, it was a very enjoyable and relaxing experience. I think even regardless, even for our particular game too, I know we were you know, pretty much well hyped up and keen to see how we would play, but I thought that ourselves even getting into it and even after the match too, it was, it was as you described, very much like a carnival in that sense. It was very much a, how would I say, as I mentioned, it pretty much was like a gathering of a collection of, of fans across the competition. So it was just, I'm just still stunned that we saw some Gold Coast supporters. And I think I saw one giant supporter too. So uh, they're very, very unique there. And uh, what is it? We made a few friends along the way as well. Well out of their natural habitat, I think it's got to be said as well, those Suns and Giants fans. If it were up to you, would you go next year? Yes, I definitely would be very interested in attending once again. So the next three years, they're going to be having it uh, also on top of this year, of course. Um, the next three years are going to be uh, keeping it at the Adelaide Oval. I'm not sure about that idea in the sense that I think I would like to see it be, you know, um, thrown around across other other states in the country as well. Um, but have, very happy much Adelaide deserves to have it retained for next year at the minimum for yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think to keep growing the game in other in other areas, especially in the in the northern states, um, it would be a pretty good experience to see how they would be able to cope with this. We've seen how well Queensland did in the under the COVID twenty twenty season. So this should be, you know, a piece of cake for them if they were ever to take it on. Yeah, I think four gather rounds in a row is just a probably maybe one too, one too many, maybe two too many. I reckon if if we were, I reckon if it were up to, to me, the next one would be probably in ter- in terms of what is feasible. I'd say I'd like the next one to be in Perth. Yep. I think a Perth I'm happy to, would be happy really to say good. That. I, I'd be I haven't huge, been to Perth. No, been to Perth neither. I'd be a huge fan of a Darwin gather round. Although I just don't that know would if be something. Got, I don't know if they've got the resources to pull it off at this stage. But I would that would really be like something, something though. Like that. Hmm. One for the future, probably give it another within uh, probably five to ten years. It would be exceptional though how that would well. But um, yes, of course, uh, we attended on the Saturday and unfortunately got to see our boys uh, defeated in the, uh, how would I say, tormentuous conditions. It was not like a flood like Ballarat a few years ago, but it did its part. What is it about us and Port Adelaide playing in miserable conditions? It's happened a few times over the journey. So this was the main event of, of the weekend, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs. Saturday night, under lights, Adelaide Oval. 10-10-70, Port Adelaide, the Bulldogs, 8-8-56. Had an eight-point lead in the last quarter. I think it was the Dogs before Port Adelaide ran over the top of them. Cody Whiteman back in the side, a huge return. His first game of the season of any sort, including practice matches, VFL games, and, and, and the like. Four goals. He kicked half of the team's goals. Singles to English, Norton, Hannon, and Bontempelli. And in terms of the disposals, Adam Trelaw picked up the most on of, of all comers, I think it was, with 35 disposals. Johannesson in, in the back line continues his renaissance. 28 disposals. 27 to Liberatore in game 200. Caleb Daniel with 24. Bontempelli in English each picked up 23. Richards picked up 22. In terms of the coaches' votes for the Bulldogs, Waitman picked up eight votes. English, two. Jones, Liam Jones, that is, with the one vote. I know you had some thoughts on the coaches' votes, Nick. 
if you wanted to, if that's where you wanted to start, or if you wanted to start with your thoughts on the game in general, you you go from here. It's not, it's not a bad shout though, isn't it? Because personally, I think well, the three of us that attended, of course, Brad joined us, were noticing for the first half at least, and probably for a large chunk of the third quarter as well, that we thought Bonson Pally was definitely right up there as one of the best players on the ground. To not see him even be awarded a vote of any sort was was very strange. And to me, what probably makes it stranger as well, too, is that considering the moves that uh, Ken Hinckley made, such as, you know, Horn Francis being thrust into the centre, um, subbing Scott Lysett in the, or was it the last quarter and maybe the back end of the third to remove the tactical advantage that Tim English provided us in the ruck, who had a fantastic game. And as well as uh, tagging Bonson Pally with, uh, with William Drew. So it's a bit interesting to see that. Well, neither of those players actually received votes, Bont or Drew, uh, for Pause, of course, because it was a very important role that he played in shutting down the Bont in the in that final quarter. And he still was able to pick up a few touches, though, but just a bit, a bit, a bit confused by that, I reckon. On the match itself, um, was one of those classic uh, eight-point games, wasn't it, for us to work out, you know, where we sort of sit in the grand scheme of things, whether we can keep pressing for, you know, that top eight spot again. And... Once more, we've left ourselves with a bit of work to do for the coming rounds. Five rounds in, our season is now currently at two and three. But we can say this, I think, confidently, you and I, that at least the last three matches, we've seen a little bit more or a fair bit more fights in the team. So that's something we can at least say is encouraging. Yeah, I when whenever anyone tells, whenever, whenever I hear anyone say, oh, at least they tried, at least they put in the effort, I never really subscribe to that. That should be a given. It shouldn't be. It is. It should be a given. It's it should, definitely. A given. It shouldn't be a, a hope that the boys go out there and they they try their best. It should. We just should, should just expect that they're going to to give a hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I I don't know if I fully agree with you on Port Adelaide's ability to shut Bont and Pelly down. Yes, they made some moves. Not exactly. No, Not I exactly. think I I think the dogs were their own worst enemy on this front. Now, wanted and I want to take you and I know a couple mm. of people have asked questions about this in, in the fan Q and A, so we might just address it now. During the last quarter, I think Todd Marshall got a free kick about 20, 25 meters out in front of goal. He. Mm-hmm. Um, Put it through. It was about ten minutes to go in the or ten minutes into the last quarter, right? So at the ten minute mark, Todd Marshall gets a free kick about thirty minutes out from goal, kicks it. As he mm-hmm. kicks the goal, Marcus Bontempelli and Tim English are taken off the ground. We see them running towards the bench, and we notice this at the time. And it's not often that you pick up on things like that as it's happening. But we were sitting in the cheer squad. It would have been on the left of your screen if you're watching it on the telly at home. So we had a really good view of ground level of, of everything. It was a fantastic uh, location, if uh, not great in terms of shelter. But we saw Bond and English come off at the same time as Marshall kicked that goal. And I think Liberatore went on to replace Bond and Pelly. Lobb went on to replace English. That sounds correct. That and is correct. What, what happened last week when Lobb was the centre bounce ruck is Richmond were able to get on a run and we saw him kick seven goals in a row, whatever it was. So we noted that when he Lobb was doing... It was no, only a part of three of those goals, though. No, last but, week, that is. But when we noticed, uh, but when we noticed that, that's mm. we noticed Lob going on, and we sort of said, "Well, this is this is the thing." Now, Port Adelaide is starting to get the game back on their terms, and they've got an advantageous, or they've got an advantage rather, in the centre bounce up. No Bontempelli, no English. So mm-hmm. Port Adelaide kick from that one in the next seven minutes. I think it is two more goals before either Bont or English are brought back on. 
And when Bontevelli is brought back on, he's brought back on and he plays in the forward line. So this is this when we so when when we talk about sports scientists having too much involvement in the game, when we talk about Luke Beveridge being a great motivator but not a, not necessarily a great coach, these are the, these are the sorts of things that we refer Tactician to. Yeah, and this is what sense. costs you. You've got the game on the line in the fourth quarter, and Port Adelaide is starting to get on top, and you take away your match winner, your captain, your best player, and your most important player, all rolled into two players off the ground at the same time. And when you bring one of them back on, you put them in a position where they're not able to do the most damage. Indeed. So we've got some Bont- numbers here. Bontempelli uh, didn't attend. I don't know if these are one of the numbers, mm. but Bontempelli did not attend one centre bounce stoppage out of six in the last quarter. Now Bontempelli, Bontempelli is the one you want in the middle when the game is on the line. When the game is up for grabs in the last quarter, you need the players, your best players, in the positions where they're going to do the most damage. Bontempelli is going to do the most damage in the middle, at the centre bounce. Tim English is going to do the most damage in the middle at the centre bounce. To take those two players off when the game was on the line and Port was starting to get on top, was a, it doesn't matter who made the call, whether it was the players themselves, whether it was beverage, whether it was sports scientists. I don't care who made that call. It was a poor one. It was a costly one. It's interesting to see, Matt, in that sense there. So let's quickly just roll off some of these things here. But I do want to tap into it because you make a very, very valid point. But I just want to question the logic of not only, say, you know, taking them off because they have to come off at times in that sense because everyone needs a breather. Sometimes these things could be better organised or there's ways to factor in to allow players to get rest at different portions of the game. For instance, English coming off towards the back end of the contest, towards the end of the game, could have occurred earlier throughout the match towards maybe the back half of, the, say, the second term or the third quarter there and have lob, say, ruck around the stoppages across the ground more so than give up the centre square, which is where a lot of those you know influential patches of play started from, with the absence of English and Bontempelli in that fourth quarter. So English went off with the 10-minute mark and 25 seconds of the fourth quarter, and he returned at 15.50. Bontempelli went off at the 13.30-minute mark of the fourth quarter and returned to the scene at 20 minutes and 8 seconds. Now they went off together. According to the times that we've got from champion data, to be fair, it might have been. They might have been coming off near enough, but that's I what saw, I've got here, though. I saw, I, saw, I saw them running off together. They were definitely yeah, so, so did I. So did I. So I'm just going by what the numbers are producing. I, I think those, those numbers are wrong because, I mean, it, look, I say they ran off at the same time. You were sitting next to me. You saw them run off at the same time. Indeed. I, I, think, I, think the time I think the times are wrong. I don't think we can, I don't think we can both be wrong on that one. No. So what we've got, though, at least in this sense, we know Port Adelaide kicked goals at the 10-minute mark, just under the 13-minute mark, just over the 16-minute mark, and, of course, the final one at the 25th and a bit. I don't know so into, into to that, that last goal, but we'll talk about that later. No, no, that last goal was a different situation. But those three goals in that six-minute patch there, and you have two of your better players occupying the, uh, occupying the pine at that time. I'm a bit confused in the sense of it seemed like Considering how well Bontempelli had gone in the first half, he had nine clearances or ten clearances or whatever it was, ended up with 12 uh, throughout the remainder of the game. To me, it didn't make sense, considering it wasn't a night for the tall forwards, 
you know, for us with Jamara and for Norton and for, for Rory Lobb, it wasn't a night for the tall marking forwards where to load up on an extra tall in Bontempelli in this case when it's the matter of retaining the ball inside 50, which was one of our biggest issues on the night too. The way that the Port Adelaide defence was able to clear the ball from our forward 50 and transition across the other end of the ground, or at least just prevents even the repeat entries from occurring, was something that we needed to rectify, not just sooner, but actually just even bother to try to fix those things up. And that would have involved us actually, ironically, playing a smaller forward line, I think, in that sense. And ironically, I wonder, if Bruce wasn't injured, do you reckon we would have subbed out, say, uh, I think we would have said that Jamara in my case. That's, I think, what would have happened. Do you reckon it's the same case? Yeah, I, I reckon, I do reckon so. I mean, I think we'd even spoken about it before the match, whether, or maybe even during the match in, in hindsight, whether the dogs should have made a late change and taken mm. out one of the talls. I've no Possibly. doubt that, yeah, I, I've no doubt that they would have subbed out one of the tall players. Probably, mm, probably not the tall we would have preferred. Probably Jamara was the most dispensable in terms of a structural sense. Or if we're going to blend structure and, and ability, because Lobb's the second mm. ruck option, and Norton's the main forward, Jones is the main defender. Um, I don't think it, mm. it. I don't. I don't think you would have subbed Josh Bruce out on you know as a choice. And Tim O'Brien and I. I think Tim O'Brien's been dealt with a little bit harshly by the fan base. I think I think last year's performances are I think is creating a bit of bias here. I actually think that was probably one of the best games he's played for the club, and, and maybe it's not saying much. But I thought I don't think third, just, I don't think it's not just for the club. I reckon across his career for Hawthorne too. As, as a third tall defender, which is what the club wanted him for, and he had to play large parts as a second key defender for for last year, and in the last quarter he's played he played as a second key defender as well and that's when things started to change. Yeah, I thought it was up a, 6 or 7 kilos, yeah. 7 or 8 centimeters. That was right. an, that was another mistake as well during the last quarter during that period of play rather because not only were Bont and Pelly in English off but uh, Charlie Dixon was off for Port Adelaide as well. Mm, and what you had that's was as had, well as um, well as Scott Lyce had been subbed off too. Yes, that was another that was another one as well but if what we saw was the Port Adelaide forward line and we saw Liam Jones on Junior Rioli and Todd that Marshall. That was very weird. Todd Marshall, who was the only key forward that Port had left, was playing on O'Brien. So that was another matchup they got wrong as well. I mean Jones should mm. have been on Jones should have been on Marshall. Not not mm. O'Brien. I thought I thought O'Brien and the mistake at the end from from O'Brien giving up that goal, look, yeah, it doesn't look great. I, I think you know, in a different scenario, I think if it's midway during the third term, I don't think that goal happens. I just think it's a case of there's three minutes to go. The dogs need two goals in pouring conditions. They've got to get things moving quickly. And, you know, when you try to play that risky game, that sort of thing can happen. But I, I think that's more the dogs trying to go for the win than O'Brien having a brain fade. I thought that yep, was probably, yeah, I, I was fine with the way he played. I don't, I didn't, I thought he was actually pretty good. So I think some of the criticism from dog supporters has been a little bit unfair and maybe there's a bit of last year that's weighing on that. And I, I get it. I mean, we often, we've got to use previous performances to judge and, and to use as a, as an example. But I, I thought if we're just taking his game on Saturday night, I thought he was fine. Mm. I thought, not, not a star, day, but not like, not in no. the top two or three, but I thought he was, I thought he was fine. Mm. Took, took no, he did his role. And competed well in the air and wasn't outplayed or outclassed, but caught the bad matchup late and you know made a made a mistake late trying to to get the two goals we needed to win but i wouldn't read mm. much into 
to that. Like I said, if that was midway during the third quarter, he doesn't he doesn't do that by foot. That mistake doesn't happen. I'm a bit intrigued with the idea of Bontempelli going more forward and not being a part of those centre clearances in the final quarter. We got to see, well, not only do we notice that Libba and Bons are two of our best current defensive uh, type midfielders in that sense. What I found strange is the acceptance of the tag. So, and it's not that you're not going to not see Bontempelli be tagged, okay? Everyone's going to do that, okay? The yeah. idea is for us is the the method to combat that particular tag was moving him away from the place where he'd be able to do the most impact. To me, it's a bit different because having Bontempelli get tagged by William Drew, like obviously that's going to benefit Port in that sense. But what, what also benefited Port was moving Bont away from where he would make the most impact. So not only are they benefiting on their own accord, they're also capitalising on our mistake there. Because what you could, what should have happened at least in that sense, not only is you know, Bont and Pelly playing in the centre square like he should be, but that also reduces the ability for Port Adelaide to have an extra player at those contests there that is fixated on winning the ball. So it's not like, but to be fair, they you know neutralised that um, that uh, effect with subbing Scott Lysett, and that you know brought English's uh, impact a bit further down in the back half of the game, I reckon. But if you're going to have then say Bonson Pally feature in the centre square and Willem Drew there, that removes one of Port's midfielders who is hunting the ball, and they're hunting the player instead. So at least that could have been an option in that sense there. At least that takes out one of their two. It's like it's, it's only two players we have to focus on versus three, technically, for us trying to win that footy. It's a bit of a... I don't, I'm not sure about the logic in that sense. Too. It's not saying because of those things, but... Oh, and by they contrast, they led Horn Francis off the leash in the final quarter. Yes, he had eight touches till three-quarter time. He had 11 in the final term and probably at least two or three centre clearances off the six. And uh, he effectively won them that game. Now, he is a very talented footballer. I know there's obviously a lot of things that people have said about him in a, in a different context. but And he's had a bit of an interesting start to his Port Adelaide career and AFL career in general. But um, we know that he's probably got a lot of burst ability. And it's very, you know, dare I say it, there's certain attributes that he happens to possess a very um, danger-field-like, you know, the break away from the centre square, which is not where he's been playing a lot for the, the Port Adelaide in this sense. And... It's those situations and those attributes that opposition players have. We've seen it before in the past. Dare I say, uh, Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca exploding out of the centre square and a couple of other types of footballers there. If you're going to try to combat these types of players, you need to have your best defensive-minded footballers in the guts to prevent that from happening. There's no point having a, you know, a small midfielder in that sense there or someone that's purely going to only... Um, hunt the ball if they don't have that defensive mindset to them because once it's going the other way, well, their impact is already you know nullified in that sense. Uh, I still thought at times too, considering the, the weather conditions, I thought at times where um, we got sucked into the contest a fair bit across the ground from the centre square, um, when not because Lob was rucking, but I didn't think that our mids actually did quite, did as well as they should have uh, when Lob was actually rucking um, across the ground. I have an issue with lob rucking in the centre square or for the centre clearances, but not for stoppages around the ground, which is where I think anyways where English need to be supported throughout uh, portions of the game. 
And that's where he can have those breathers, you know, where he can actually take a backwards seat and then say rest to the forward line if Lobb's doing around the ground or English being that defensive ruckman and, and floats across the pack uh, in, in the back line to an extent for those passages of play. Not have him come off and only have one particular ruck or forward ruck in that sense feature on the field. Hmm. One I other think is- at times, oh, what, what about, what do you make of our uh, defensive setup, Matt? Not the players per se. Because we were pretty content with how they defended. I'm talking about the the way that they were positioned at particular stoppages across the ground in that final term. I thought they were pressed up way too high. Now, that's likely an instruction. But once again, once the ball gets caught out and then the Port Adelaide players are flooding into the forward line, they're caught out the back and, you know, there you go. I think I think having Josh Bruce off changed that. I think mm-hmm. for, for the, I think that made a, a bit of a difference, and I've been pretty vocal on uh, Josh Bruce in, in the back line for the first month of the season. But I, I think, and, and he, again, he had a couple of moments on the weekend. But I think in terms of the structure, I think it changed to our detriment once he went off with those injuries in, in the third term. And uh, as it's it's been reported, he suffered serious injury to multiple ribs. And there's, uh, to the point where there's not even a time frame set on his return. So we don't know when he'll be back. That return to play plan will be confirmed in, in the coming weeks. That's according to the to the Bulldogs website. So we don't know how long Josh Bruce could be out for. We've got Alex Keith on the sidelines with that concussion still. I think he'll be available this week. I think they said he came in the following day after the Richmond match and was looking pretty good. There's Ryan Gardner, of course. Footscray didn't play in the VFL at the weekend, so there's a couple of options there for the Dogs, depending on, on what path they want to go down. The one there is I a few players have... that have flown over too, though, to be fair. I think yeah. uh, McNeil as well has flown across over to Perth. Right. So he at least won't be attending yes. the or won't be participating in this week's VFL match. I think all four of the emergencies. I believe so. As, as well. The one midfielder I've got to ask you about, because I put this out there to the world oh, last yeah. week, and I got... Well, I wouldn't say I got totally shut down, but I had people coming to his defence. Jackson McRae. Now, I just want to go through the timeline for McRae and what's happened over the past few months. So, we know, let's start with the known knowns. Let's go through what's been established as fact and what has definitely happened. We know that during match simulation over the summer, McRae had been lining up across the half-forward line rather than in the same and, amount of stuff. And at full forward on a couple of occasions too. Well, that's that's the next point. So started at half-forward during the match simulations. We've seen him at times at AFL level this season, most notably in the St Kilda match in the third term when the dogs were really struggling and getting belted out of the middle. McRae was lining up at full forward of all places. And this is a guy that's averaged a quarter of a goal per game across his career. His numbers have dropped over the course of the of the opening month. He's only picked up the 30 disposals, I think. Uh, oh, he picked up 30 disposals twice, sorry. So 33, 25, 30, 21, and 24. The 33 against Melbourne looks good on paper, but he looked lethargic during that game. And then the, the low of 21 against Richmond is, is the lowest he will have had in, in a long time. Like he dropped, I can't remember the last time he dropped below 20. So we're talking about... That wasn't injury affected. Yeah. I'm so thinking, oh. Yeah, we're talking about, I mean, excluding COVID-effective seasons, of, of course. Uh, of which he has succeeded in any way, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, for the most part, anyway. So I, so I, so, so this is what I sort of said. I said... Played at match simulation at half forward. Line up at full forward against the Saints. He also spent the last seven minutes 
of the Richmond game at the MCG on the bench. Now, this is your vice captain and one of your best players. You would think if there's a couple of kicks in it late, you'd want him on the field. But he spent the last seven minutes of the game on the bench. And I've had a look, and there was certainly more than a couple of opportunities where he could have been brought on in those final few minutes. So to say that there wasn't a chance, I think, is a bit of a stretch to say. And then he was named on the bench to start against Port Adelaide last week. Now, when I named him on the bench in our best 22, I never got to live it down. But when the dogs do it, it's nothing to see here. And, and just some of the people who have, who have replied, and look, it's not an, it's not an issue anything with, with them, but the, the defense that they've brought to McCrae kind of proves my point that says something not quite right here. Um, so a couple of people have said, no offense, what are you on about? He was great last week. Got us, this is referring to the Richmond game, of course. Got us back on track last week. I thought he was huge. Uh, he was great last week. No, his last two weeks have been really good. Uh, wouldn't say concerned, just playing a different role. Now, I mean, all of those, are, or a couple of those, and a couple of other people said things like playing a different role, not not worried uh, about his performance. Yeah, but the question is, role. why is he playing a different but role, that, per that, se, that, when that, you've lost a couple of midfielders in Dunkley and Hunter? What's the need that proves for him to play a different role? That proves my point. The fact that he is playing a different role confirms in my mind that something is not quite right. Now, Beveridge has a tendency, we know, uh, we, we've discussed this at length. He has a tendency to try and reinvent every single player into every different position under the sun. But Jackson McRae has been one of the few exceptions to that front. McRae has always been a center bounce type, a stoppage type. Now, a couple of people said that McRae was great in terms of getting the, the game back on our terms against Richmond, helped us dominate the clearances. He had 21 disposals, which was a long time low. He hasn't had, it's been a while since he's had anything less than that. And he had just two clearances for the match. So if he was the reason that the dogs got on top in the clearances, it wasn't because of anything that he did as an individual. It was more what he allowed others to do. And the disposal numbers, as I say, they've dropped. They've been a concern. He's looked lethargic at, at times. He was named on the bench against Port Adelaide. And in the last quarter, when the game was on the line, McRae had one disposal. He touched that the, is correct. He touched the footy just once in the last quarter when the game was on the line. And you can't even use the, oh, he didn't attend centre bounces like Bontempelli. He attended four of the six. Yeah. That's, so, uh, I mean, it could, be, it could be that he's carrying an injury. It could be that he's I, out of form. From what I have heard, I actually ha- I will tap into that, actually, Matt. I think it's pretty similar that he might actually have something, uh, not to the extent of uh, Josh Bruce, but uh, I think that there's a couple of things, a couple of rib ticklers going on, right. I reckon. So, look, it, but, it, but, that, that, but I just I just want to... I just want to Put that out there, that I'm not saying that I reckon he's falling off a cliff and we'll be trading uh, one of our star players to Melbourne for a future fourth at the end of the season again. But I let I just want to make a point of this. He, he hasn't had a great start to the season. And there's a, and look, each of those things on their own... Which, which is a rare thing for him, which is very rare for yeah. him because we've seen how good of a player he is in seven years. That's why it's yeah. so interesting to see this shift because we've come to expect him to be... Not that he isn't an A-grade player. He's, he's, an, he's an A-grader by far. Yeah. But it's just very strange to see his drop in standards. Now, I actually got a couple uh, of things. Sorry, sorry, similar... sorry, Nick. This, this no, on, I because he, and I, and I want to make this I want to make this clear because I know fans of football fans can get very defensive about their favourite players. And, and I love Jack McRae as much as anyone. So I, I understand that people might, might not want to hear what I've got to say. 
so so I just want to just want to be very clear with this. Any of those things that I've mentioned in isolation are not a big deal. It's the fact that each of them combine over the course of the opening month for the season start to paint a picture for me. And his three quarters against Port Adelaide last week were really good. No, he had a, he had he had a good first three quarters. Not best on ground, but it was really good. He he found a lot a lot of footy. I think he was on seventeen touches at halftime. He picked up four or five in the third quarter, and then just the one in the last. As I say, it's not uh, it's, seven, it's not alarm ten, bells. Six, six and one. one. It's not alarm bells. He did have two bells. tackles in the in the fourth. But let's he just had two of his six tackles. Sorry. Let's just make a note of this. For now, let's just make a little footnote here that there's been a few things that I've noticed about Jack McRae over the first month of the season. And, you know, if anything does occur throughout the year, we can revisit this moment in time. But I wanted to flag this because it's it's standing out to me with each passing week. And it's not just one thing. It's a combination of a few things that I'm seeing now. But mm. I, I felt like I had to had to address that because everything that I spoke about last week and then you add on top of that one disposal in the last quarter where the game's on the line. It, uh, it, not, not just, just concern, concerned at this point, but not panic stations. At least not yet. Hmm. We've got him listed at the equivalent rate of pressure acts in the defensive aspect uh, from last year. So it was about eighteen. And this year he seems to be going pretty much the same. What has changed actually for him is this is where we obviously tap into it here, Matt. What has definitely changed and what is evidently visually different is the stoppage influence last year mccray was averaging 6.4 clearances a game rated elite amongst the you know the top uh, 10 percent players of the competition it was listed above average for center clearances at two and a half a game with a further four clearances from stoppages around the ground which is again rated elite now let's take a look at the change to 2023 We've got him listed at three clearances again, which is rated average. Now, that is the third of the four ratings. So, again, there's elite, above average, average, and below average. We then have McRae, uh, again, listed as average for centre clearances with just the one. And, again, he's listed as average for stoppage clearances with just, the, on average, two per game. It is a massive production drop for McRae there. You know, 6.4 stoppages, per, sorry, 6.4 clearances per game dropping down to three. You know, 2.4 center ones dropping down to one, and then four stoppages dropping down to two. I mean, up now, until, we know all the up until game is week, built upon. Up until last week, he'd had 11, 11 clearances for the season. Last year, he, mm. it took him one week to get to that. He was he had 11 That's clearances. That's the thing. It's, the it's really season. interesting. It's really interesting to see because it's not like we don't have the, it's not like, well, you know, uh, how would I say? It's not like we've got an abundance of midfielders anymore, you know. And to have, say, Bailey Smith absent for a bit, we've got. Well, it seems like we're being more set on the players, particularly who we want to play in the, in, in that centre square now. And that is now consistently Marcus Bonsapelli, who's boosted his midfield minutes. It is consistently Tom Liberatore, and now it's Adam Trelaw. And that's not a knock on the three of those guys. It's just really interesting to see that certain other types who we would have had this availability for in the past, you know, we would have had a lot of midfield minutes for him or centre square minutes for McRae in the past, much like we did with Josh Dunkley and, and even Bailey Smith too. And now that a lot of these pieces of the puzzle are absent or have moved on, it seems like it's harder than ever for him to be able to actually feature where he 
has belonged in the past. So the question in that sense is, is why? Why? It's not that he's being phased out, because we're allowed to ask the question, why is he not being played in the particular yeah. position? And this is not a tactical thing, I reckon, in the sense it has to, or oh, rephrase that, sorry, it's either something is genuinely up with him, as in, you know, he is a bit sore, and he's had he's got some things that are covering himself up and protecting himself, and the club's doing their best there, or the club is concerned about particular opposition midfielders and their, you know, burstability. Now, that doesn't mean McRae's a slow midfielder because he's never been a quick one, but something's obviously dropped off for him to not not to be able to produce the same numbers. It's they're not giving him the opportunity to produce these previous numbers that he would get gather in the past. So that's, it's, it's a fair question. Like, wh- why is then they have said, we're going to push him aside away from his previous main role? So when I, when I think that, when, when clubs do that, it's one of, I've got one of two fears with this. One is minor, the other is major. The minor one is that he's carrying an injury and they're just trying to, to manage him through it. The other one is that they're phasing him out because they don't think he's the player he used to be. Now, that's an, that's an extreme call, and I'm not saying that that's true. But generally what we see when players stop being the players that they used to be, they start playing different roles. And that's that's pretty consistent across the competition. You see players will try. I mean, Scott Pendlebury is a good example. He doesn't play in the midfield anymore. He's not the player he used to be. He plays more across halfback. Now, he's still very good across halfback, but he's not the same player he used to be. And that's the point. And that's just one of a catalogue of examples that you could come across on that front. Mm. But to Dustin, be fair, that's Dustin Mar- Dustin Pendlebury doesn't exam- need to be, though. No, they don't but, need to be. We no, still but, need McRae, yes, though, to be that. Yes. Dustin Martin's that's another good example. He, you don't see him playing in the midfield anymore. He's more of a forward these days. And that mm-hmm. Fife is another one in, in Fremantle, who, you know, I think they're trying to play him up forward despite his injury concerns, but he's not wrecking packs through the middle anymore. And I'm not no. saying that's the case with McRae, but it's 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 a fear. No, but these these other players you've brought up there, and this is the correct thing to say to what you're going on with that, these other players have maybe not the success rate, or some of them have better success rate, but they've got the capabilities to suggest, yes, they can be fitted into another part of the ground. Martin obviously can play forward. You know, he's a fine mark. He's creative at ground level and, you know, all these other things. He's a natural goal, goal kicker. Fife, really strong contested mark. That doesn't mean he's going to succeed as a forward, but he's got an attribute that says he could succeed. What is it that's in the idea of, say, McRae going a bit higher up the ground? What is it there? Because like I know last year we got to see him too towards the – there's been something with McRae from probably the midway point of last season, maybe a little bit later, where he stopped he's not, he's having not those particular numbers. Player. No, no, he's, they started playing him a lot more on the wing. So this is like, this is like the little, last year was like a little appetizer to it, and now we're gradually getting towards the main course mm. in this sense. Where there, it's not a phase. It's it's just a weird double because he's not being he's not being phased out of the team. Clearly, no, no, I, I don't. No, I, I don't. The, I don't phase th- out of positions, which is really odd. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily think that he's being he's being phased no, no, out. But but it's no, gen- not of the team for sure. But it's just but it ge- generally generally when players are being phased out, they're not being played in the VFL. They're just being played in a different role. That's my fear. Mm. And I, I think and I look, if you say that you're hearing he's picking up. He's, picked up a couple of injuries and he's just managing through them. I, I'm inclined to agree or believe that at least and go along with it. And I hope that's all it is. 
Would you consider giving him a week off just to get it right, though? I would rather just have McRae say, no, you're just going to miss this week so that we make sure, like, just pick a week, any, any week, and just say, no, I'm, no, we're going to give you a week off if it means that when you do come back the following week, you're going to be, you're going to be, well, maybe not 100%, but, you know, because no player is, but you're going to, we're going to, you're going to be the McRae that we know. Mm. Right? I'd be fine with that. It's a matter that. of picking that week, yeah. isn't it? It's a matter of picking that particular week. And because we've got certain personnel that are absent, it pushes additional responsibility. So now we're seeing the flow-on effect, or the reverse flow-on effect of certain personnel being absent from the team. Now, it's all good and all to say, yep, we're getting an extra 10 to 15 minutes of Bont and Pally and now Libra and now even Trelaw in the, in the centre square. I, I, like stoppages. I like Trelaw's game. We do. He wasn't, we he do wasn't very efficient, but it wasn't one of those nights where efficiency was... Oh, uh, no, that wasn't always, king of the that wasn't king of the castle. No, efficiency is always important, but it wasn't necessarily a priority last night on, on Saturday night. Sorry, brother. Mm. What is interesting? I think I've got my point. What was I going on about again? Center square combinations. <laughs> ah, here we go. That's that, right. Yeah. yeah um, but what's interesting is to say now because there's less players being utilized within the center square. It seems like our particular players, notably Bontempelli, are getting burnt out a bit sooner during the game because there's not they're not getting that particular respite that they normally would have got from relief options in a Josh Dunkley, in you know, in the past a Toby McLean, in the past you know Hunter could feature on ball for a little bit or a Bailey Smith in this case too. So there's a lot more going on physically, I reckon, where certain players' bodies are probably. Although very sore, I reckon they're a lot sorer than they actually are projected at the moment. So it's going to be very interesting how the club tries to balance this out. Yeah. And that's probably why they bring in certain personnel like, not for their sake, but like like a McComb who can at least fill in the, in the gaps. Now, we ideally want to see certain players, um, like you and I have spoken a lot about him, and that's Riley West. I want to see him play that, you know, cannonball approach that might be what's needed at the moment, perhaps in the center square. But the problem is he's not exactly a defensive-minded midfielder. No. But he can still lock down and clamp because he's got actually, ironically, a very good, uh, successful tackle rate, I think. I was, I was a bit surprised. It's a bit small. You mentioned McCombe. I was a bit surprised he was dropped. Not necessarily just because he's been a, a favorite of, of beverage for the past couple of seasons now, but I thought his last couple of games were encouraging. Not necessarily good, but encouraging. He had, well, he, he was a sub against Brisbane, and he only had a couple of moments in the last quarter. But he did well. They were very important quarter. moments, and he was moments. he was solid in conditions that I think suited him against Richmond, and kicked an important goal in the last quarter, albeit degree of difficulty not very high. And we were greeted with similar conditions again on Saturday night. Now I thought he might have been given a given another go. He wasn't, and he wasn't even named the sub. McLean was the sub, although after his performance and where VFL McLean certainly deserved an opportunity. The one that we we discussed a bit during the game, after the game, and even during the Richmond game as well, was Mitch Hannon. And it all comes down to one moment in the second quarter. But unfortunately, it was so crucial. So he drops the mark at halfback. There's about a minute to go. Tries to take a chest mark rather than taking it out in front of him. Should have had his hands yep. out. Should have caught the free kick then. 
But he gets a second chance. He receives the ball. He dallies a half back for what feels like an eternity. He gets caught holding the ball. Port Adelaide go up the other end and kick one of those red time goals that I talk so much about. And that and that that is exactly why those red time goals are so crucial. Is because mm. you've got no chance to to respond to it. Like it's a it's a. Let's free, get these red time numbers up. It's a two free, goals, two to five two for Ports. It's a free hit. Scores and time on. It's a free hit when you get a goal that late in the half, and the opposition have no time to respond to it. I mean, it goes from being a it goes from being a three point game to a nine point game. And if you think if Waitman keep if you take that goal away, and Waitman kicks that goal in the last quarter, we're fourteen points up, and all of a sudden that that, that that's almost a match winning lead at that stage. Goals in red time are so crucial, and I was having an argument with someone about it, and you know I got the whole. Oh, I'd, I'd like to see you do better and, and everyone makes mistakes. And that's true. Everyone makes mistakes. But the fact, the, the point is that we see how to make these mistakes every excuse, week. It doesn't excuse the mistakes from reoccurring. Though. That's well, every, everybody, everyone gets it on. Like it could have been, it could have been Bonds and Pelly. It could have been McCray. It could have been anyone who did that in the, in the back line. But the thing is, we see these mistakes from Hannon on a regular basis, and you can't and continue. And you don't see those mistakes from the others. You just no, you don't. But, That's the thing. No, but it could happen to anyone. But the fact is, we it see can. it happen to these sorts of players on a regular basis. That's the thing. This isn't a one-off. I mean, I, we, I saw, just, we saw mm, we saw Hannon miss one from no the goal square unmarked last week against Richmond. And he had a bit of bad luck as well. He had the he had the, the, the leg and the goal square, which he should have got a free kick for. But there was the other one where he's on goal square on his own and he's tried to soccer it through and he's missed. We see those mm, sort of things. And then the one to uh, he didn't pass it to Rory Lobb as well last week. But yeah, yeah, that that as well. My, yeah. My only question, my only question is, is possibly because there's certain reasons as to why players might hold up for play, whether it's a, a valid reason or not, is the you know, what we have to try to break down here. Do you recall? Whether there was anyone up the ground at that point in time, or whether when, there was something to kick to, I think with a minute to go, it doesn't really matter. No, I was going to say the exact same thing. There's a minute to go; it's pouring down with rain. Get the thing out of there. Just kick. Uh, go fifty meters down the line. Yeah, get, get it for deliberate. At least you to set up some structures once again. So well, be it. Well, there should be someone down there, but it doesn't. It, it shouldn't matter anyway. Get it out of there. I mean, if you're just standing on your in the back line, not moving. How long do you do you think it's going to be before someone applies a tackle on you? It's not going to be long at all. You're not going to have much time. So just get it out of there. I don't know if he was waiting for someone uh, or he was trying to try trying to weigh up a, a whether to pull off a precise kick or whatever. Which I wouldn't advise in the conditions anyway. Like it was just it was just a it was a poor moment and it was really costly. It was a territory based game and yeah. we popped it there. And that, that's why I said that's yeah. why I was saying earlier that efficiency isn't wasn't necessarily the you know I think you said said a bit it wasn't king of the, the king night. of the castle. Yeah, on, on the night territory was and you booting it fifty meters down the line maybe at Marvel it might have been a bit different where there was no conditions at all but in in a game like that one against Port Adelaide just. Go long down the line and, and deal with whatever contest or lack of contest is there when it's there. Because at least if you kick it down that long way down the line, you give everyone on the back line time to set everything up. Mm. And instead of Port having to work it from half forward to full forward, they've got to work it from the wing to half forward to full forward. Mm. Let's go through some of these famous numbers of ours that we happen to have. The pressure gauge. And let's see how we coped under it. Oh, I know Quarter you, one. I know yeah, so I don't think you will. I don't think anyone will. Uh, quarter one, rated 
average with 185 port above average listed 198. The, the, the tables they, turned they were, in the second quarter. Yeah, they were, they were poor in the first quarter. The dogs, they were slow and they, they didn't play the conditions very It took very them about 10, 10, 15 minutes to, to work it up. So I'm sure yeah. that that average rating of 185 might as, might as well have been as low as 160, maybe 150 early on. Yeah. And then they just balanced it out a bit they more. Looked, yeah, they looked uh, switched off to start the game. Yep. Indeed. Second term, 192 rated above average and Port Adelaide 178 below. So that was the worst... Uh, for Port on the night. First we, were, we were better in the second term. We were much better yeah. in the second term. And, of course, we caught that goal at red time, which bit us bad. Yeah, uh, we got to the third quarter where both sides threw a fair few punches in that sense. And they both fought you know, to and fro. But it was actually a really entertaining third quarter. Uh, Port Adelaide raised their intensity massively to 214, deemed elite. Anything above I think, 200 is deemed elite anyhow. Yeah, And we got... We at least backed up what we produced in the second term with a 191. So still above average. And that was more than enough still. Three goals one to one goal two in the third. Yep, so it says that structurally we hold up in that sense. Yeah. And here is the problem. Port Adelaide had plenty in the tank. And we're able to you know, keep it again near enough with a rating of 208. And we were absolutely puffed to the max. Dropping to 171 our lowest rating of the night and the lowest rating of the game, being below average. That is with the match on the line. And that, to me, comes down to certain personnel. It's not that they're not fit. Okay, it's not that they're not fit at all. I think it's literally they just don't. It sounds ironic that I'm going to say they don't have enough juice in the tank, but it's not because of their lack of fitness. It's probably because they're forced to work harder than certain other teams, I guess, because... I think in terms of our centre-square combination, we've used the, what? I think we've used one of the least rotated uh, rotated players that have played in the centre-square. I think we've only used 10 players across the opening five or so rounds. Some other clubs have used up to 16 or 17. So it's not that they're less fit. It's more that they're not as fresh to go. And that comes back to not having certain personnel be able to play that role that keeps these players fresh to allow them to play at their best ability, to play, you know, you're not, rota- you're not uh, uh, rotating a A-grade gun with a, with a B-minus or a C-plus no. midfielder to replace them in that context. You're still getting that calibre of mid, but that is not there anymore. Just, just, just before we go to the questions, there's just two players I want to, I want to talk about. And we've, we've spoken about them a little bit in terms of interchanging their roles. Caleb Daniel in the midfield, what do you think of his performance? 24 disposals, 12 kicks, 12 hand passes, eight inside 50s, three clearances. Mm. Were you a fan of it? Say again, how, many, how, many inside, how many inside 50s was it, please? Eight, in, eight inside 50s. Didn't hit a target uh-huh. with any of them. Uh, which is to, the concern. Yeah. Which is the concern. But this is, we've, been, we've been asking for this for a little while now, playing Daniel a little higher up the ground. We got a glimpse of it. Was it, was it enough for you to, to be convinced that we should persist with it? Or do you think it... Probably not something we should uh, we should sort of we should just go to him in the back line coming forward or backwards depending on how mm. you view it. It's a very very strange thing here because even too it wasn't just the kicks inside fifty years. we mentioned before it was a territory based game and of his seven kicks or eight kicks inside fifty uh, five of them were, were you know from bombing much likewise with Tim English five of his six were from bombs and pretty much we had no one uh, ironically bar um. McRae, who actually uh, retained the ball quite probably as, as well 
that had at least a minimum of three kicks going inside 50. And he went at 67 for his retentions. What do I reckon about Daniel in the midfield? It's interesting because I said he should not be in the centre square, but he's too slow to be a wingman. But it's ironic. If there was a position between centre square and wing, that is where he should be. What was Hunter? Hunter wasn't, Hunter wasn't overly quick, but Hunter had a Hunter had a massive tank, which is obviously hurting us at this point in time because I still think we're probably ironically missing him more than a. I think Daniel's tank is pretty point. good. Didn't did it I not read good. that years ago that he was an, he was a standout in the I know it's a long long time ago now, but wasn't he one of the wasn't he one of the last men standing in the beat test in his draft year? Quite possibly, it has been else. a long time since I've checked those, uh, checked those stats. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect you to have that, but it was just, just in the back of my mind when you just mentioned Hunter having a tank. I remember going, no, because I remember Daniel's numbers at the championship were ridiculous. Maybe that's what I'm confusing it with. But I, mm-hmm. I thought that his his numbers in the beep test were quite high as well. The the other one though I that I, I've got to, I've yeah, got to no, give... you got it, you've got it right, you've got it right here. Uh, he was tied equal first. Uh, with Jack Cox at 16.1. Okay, there we uh, go. Who else is in there? So that's better at that point in time anyways. That's better than noted midfielders in Jack Steele, 15.1, Christian Petrarca, uh, 14.12. Ed Langdon, who's an absolute machine, 15.3. So he can do it. He's got the tank for it. He has a tank for it. It's interesting well, to he, see. He, so least, that is a, the old big test shuttle run. Yeah, once upon a time. Oh, God. <laughs> the other one I just want to reserve praise for before we get into the questions is the rebirth of Jason Johannesson off the halfback yes, line. We've got to give a bit of praise to yeah. JJ. I, think We've been, we, I, I said, and I recall it vividly after round one, I said, Johannesson's on my never again list unless they want to put him on the halfback line. And they put him on the halfback line, and in the last couple of weeks, he's been crucial in both performances. I know we didn't get the win, but his 28 disposals was, I think, second only to Trelaw. And we saw the way he competed a couple of times. He was willing to take the hit. Uh, to he did. That, that, was, we, that was yeah. very important. There were some times where we would have seen maybe JJ go past the contest or look to take it out. But there were, we didn't see that. On, I said it was a tough night. You know, you're going to feel it, especially in those conditions. Everything feels a lot worse when it's, you know, absolutely bucketing down the way that it was. So it was, it was 18 kicks, six rebounds, which was second, oh, sorry, third only to Richards and Liam Jones. And I, I'm just going to try and get up the uh, the numbers in terms of metres gained as, as well. I've no doubt that he was quite high on that front as well. But I think the way he's mm. played in his natural position, and we, we joked a bit about it last week, it's amazing how it happens, but something we, we called for, and sometimes we can call for things and, they happen and then they don't actually work out all that well. But I'm thrilled to see... Metres gap playing. 428 for Jason Johannesson uh, this particular uh, week. That was fourth. And to mm. be fair, he's not averaging as much as he has this season, but that's still well below his career average, actually, which is, to be fair, he's been played a bit all over the place too. But if I can get out his numbers, uh, if I can find them properly for the metres gain stats in this respective... Uh, there we go. Each respective match this season, it is on an incline, a very, very steady incline. He had 87 in round one. He didn't play in round two, did he? No, no, he was dropped in uh, round so two. 361 in round three, 400 against Richmond's, and, of course, 428. So by the, by the end of the season, we should see him reach 1,000. Excellent. Fantastic. <laughs> I would like that. But, no, I just wanted to 
I just want to acknowledge that the the rebirth of Johansson across the halfback line has been most pleasing to see over the past couple of weeks. Let's get into... And it's been important. It's been very important. It's kept the options out too, because if Dale was going poor, which he was getting tagged on, well, JJ wasn't. So, you know, it's there's support yeah. there for these types of players. There's but a... yes, let's roll on. There's, there's another wing option, Dale. But uh, anyway, let's uh, so let's go through some of the, the questions. Stephen Carr has four questions. So we, I think we've already answered a, a couple of them, but we'll recap them anyway. Uh, a, hope they aren't heading home. They're heading to Perth. That is, that's referring to the players, and that's absolutely true. The Bulldogs are going straight mm-hmm. to Perth. Yeah, good to see us. We are, we are definitely, we're definitely not heading to Perth. We're heading back to, or we're back in Melbourne. No. We're, we're uh, back in Melbourne, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've had enough of us, but they've asked us to leave. Uh, part B of the, the four-part question, can you confirm Bont was on the pine for an extended period? in the last quarter if so why i think we've oh, indeed we did. largely how did port manufacture five or six minutes for law on horn francis in the center in the last quarter i think you've touched on that a bit and win lose that was a great option too wasn't it? that's a good yeah. question win lose or draw why is there so much vitriol towards uh, bevo now i i know i spoke a bit about the decision to take bond and english off at a crucial stage in the last quarter i don't think the loss to port adelaide last week was the fault of any one department in particular. I think the Dogs started slowly as a team in the first quarter, and we spoke about that earlier. I think there was individual mistakes like the Hannah one, which we spoke about, which cost goals at crucial times. I think the injury to Josh Bruce, which was no one's fault, didn't help matters. And then in the third quarter, and then I think in the fourth quarter, the, the decisions they wanted barely in English off, whoever made it, it was utter madness. So I think I don't want to blame any one person in particular i think i've just spoken of, i think we're just sort of seeing a bit of a pattern with beverage football and that it, it's very good at motivating players and getting them up for a game but in terms of tactics and plans it's never really been there he's been no, very he's been very good he's been very good at generating the us against them narrative and that gets the players up but in terms of an actual game plan i don't really know if there's ever been one under beverage I mean, the contested a, ball. The contested ball be has been a, manipulated. The contested ball has been a feature under Beveridge, but I would argue that that's the legacy of Brendan McCartney more than Luke Beveridge. Yeah. As much as that may be to say, mm. uh, James asks here, or at uh, Zachstad nineteen seventy nine, was it a mistake not bringing in a ready-made small crumbing forward? Jones still needs time. Waitman is excellent, but competes in the air too much. <laughs> you, you, you make a big point of that, Nick. And with uh, West... Oh, and, and still with, flies. That was, a, that was a heck of a first touch he had, though, wasn't oh, it? Wasn't it? It's the best first touch of the season I've seen for quite some time. And with West and Garcia being very much hit or miss, what other options do we have? We really don't have many options in terms of small forwards. Most of them are... Uh, small midfielders just cutting their teeth in the forward line. But outside of Arthur Jones, that is, and, and Waitman, there really isn't much. And I think that's why there was the need to bring in Jones. We know the Dogs made a play at James Rowe. Uh, or they, at least they were considering it. It was reported during last season, but that never came to pass. Uh, they've had their hands tied in the last couple of years with needing to match bids on, uh, well, obviously, Eugle Hagen and, and Sam Darcy. And James Rowe was tied up into all of that in the and the 2020 uh, draft period as well. Do you think we're, I think, I don't know, do you think we're a bit short in the small forward department? Or do you think, do you think what we've got is, is enough at the moment? Oh, it's a very interesting question to say the least. I tell you seriously, it's, it's, it's unique because we still probably miss those crash and bash types as of the players, but they're probably not physically 
as capable to, to do that role as certain other types of players. Like I said, Dunkley is still a massive, massive loss despite, you know, what was going on. Um, pleasingly, I will say this, so in terms of the, uh, for the small forward role, uh, Artie Jones, once again, rated up pretty highly on our pressure points. Uh, is, yeah. Highest. So 45 there. Uh, only Trelaw, 50. Daniel, 51. McRae, who we actually did have a fair bit of a chat about before, 53. And then Boston Pelly, who's a freak of nature, at 61. Uh, it is a bit interesting to see, though. I wonder, because the types of small forms that we've got, we have Layman, we've got Jones, we've got Charles Clark, who's a very creative little bugger. Uh, but they're all very different types of small forwards. Yeah, Clark, aren't they? Clark's an, Clark is a, is another one I, I totally forgot about. It's uh, yeah. It depends. I, I get the feeling it depends we might... on what we're trying to achieve for this year. That's the conundrum because it does feel like, in terms of flag contentions, the most or the better part of the last six years has been effectively wasted in yeah. that sense because it just hasn't been utilised the way that we would have ideally hoped, and it all culminated, you know, unfortunately in a crash and burn a couple of years ago getting so close and what it was. But it's interesting to see that how we approach this year is we're still keeping we, the balance of trying to change the list as we did do last year. You know, we had, what, seven or eight departures in that sense. So we were able to refresh the list a little bit. We'll likely obviously do the same this year again. And then I, ref, I expect the same to occur next year. The question is, though, how does one continue to top up the list yet bring in the needed elect talent through the draft to plug all those particular gaps that the side has got. We and might. now it's not a structural thing. It's not a structural issue now as it was in the past. Now it's a lack of immediate A or uh, not having enough A great talent. You know, technically what we've got is each, t- or for what we're playing each week, we've got, you know, five to six or seven a-graders that are playing each week. Some of them are a bit down on form, you know, Norton and McRae a little bit and, and, and stuff like that. The next, you know, half a dozen to eight or nine players effectively should be your B-grade types that are, you know, have the capacity to play A-grade football. And then the next, you know, is the, the foot soldier types that are, you know, there for the remaining slots from like 16 to 22 or 17 to 22 or 23 this year. But it seems like there's obviously this time around, you know, two or three A graders short, and that's including. So that's not including the players that are currently in that uh, category that are down on form. Then you factor in the B graders that we've got that aren't playing B grade football, you know, like a Bailey Williams in a sense, for instance. And there seems to be an influx of an additional two or three players in that C grade range. So it's a lot more heavy hitting for those A-graders that have to stay on the field for a lot longer, which is obviously draining their energy reserves. And it's it's very taxing, especially when you factor in our game plan, which is built very much on that, you know, that particular team defence, more so than probably any other side of the competition. And it's, it is massively taxing, and it's probably paying its price at the moment, I think. It's probably um, not the result of, like, you know, five weeks. It's probably the result of... You know, an extended period of time, I reckon. Let, let's in, let's indulge in something a bit more positive because Mitch asks us, how good was Cody Whiteman in grueling conditions off the back he of a month out fantastic. and not even a VFL match to warm up to it? Is he well and truly among our most important players? I reckon he is the leading contender for the spike in 2023. 
Well, if he averages four goals for the rest of the season, he certainly will be. <laughs> He's going to kick 88 goals for the year then. Like He'll be it. the closest man to kicking 100 goals. I'll take that. Imagine yeah. that. It'll be arguably the greatest uh, season by a small forward probably since Lee Matthews. Uh, this century. Since Lee Matthews, yes. If he kicks 88 goals, imagine that. So probably since uh, probably since. Uh, well, we were talking about Right. Well, I was going to say probably since Brad Johnson in 2006. We were talking mm. about that season was, the other night. Yes, 74 was, goals, 19 goals. was a medium forward or a small forward? I think he's more of a medium type. Well, I think he, but, well, he played again, as a tall forward. He did play as a tall forward. He was a very good contestant, Mark. And so is Waitman, actually, yeah. from the pack. Oh, that, it's interesting to see. So that, that 2006 season from Brad Johnson, I know there's a video of it on, on YouTube, Al's highlights. I, I don't know Al. So this is not. Please bring it back. He's not. Uh, he or she has not asked me to promote the channel, uh, but watch it. Brad Johnson's 2006 season, outrageous. And yet, I, well, I mean, I think we'd, we'd forgotten entirely what Waitman brought to the side. Honestly, I, I think we, I think the we, flare. I think we'd, I think we'd forgotten how important Waitman was to that forward line, and and he took, and it it's took him, not just that too, took him it's one touch energy. to remind us all of that. That mark on the wing in. In, in such awful conditions, to kick half the team's goals, he kicked four goals too. He was unbelievable. And he's rocketed up to equal third in our goal kicking. So, well done to Cody Waitman speaking, after one match. Speaking of which, uh, Fergus Green has kicked eight goals for Hawthorne this year, just for what it's worth. No mm. Bulldog has kicked more than that. Mm. Anyway. I don't think if Fergus was playing with us, I think he would be struggling personally, unfortunately. Not because of him, but I think it's just the way that we're setting up is not yeah. giving our players the best chance to succeed. Jez Dog has got a... Jez Dog has asked a couple of interesting questions. Do you think this loss feels worse because we looked good, but lost like we always do? That's I think a fair it's, shout. I think it's, that is a very fair shout. It's a different kind of frustrating. It's not a frustrating in, as like rounds one and two where we're miles off it and it just feels like we're a long way away from anything. It's, it's frustrating because we were good enough to win, but we didn't show it. We were on top in the start of the last quarter. We kicked one goal. We probably should have kicked a couple yep. more. We had an extra – we had what? Um, the lead for the first 10 minutes of that fourth quarter. The game was on our terms. And we, once again, unfortunately, didn't get enough for it. Yeah. And Port Adelaide go and get one, and then that turns to two, and that turns to three. You know, they pretty much became like a you know, an equivalent fast bowler who sees a fire on the horizon and takes full advantage of it. Yeah. Another one from from uh, Jez, and, and I, I agree that it's just frustrating because we got close. Uh, but I, I suppose you and I think Mitch pointed it out. You'd rather an honourable loss than the losses we had in rounds one and two. I mean, no, you don't want any kind of loss. But if you had to pick one, I'd rather a loss like last night that shows that we're good enough to win, rather than one that shows that we're miles away from it. Uh, and another one from Jez: Do you think they re-signed Luke Beveridge in the belief that the list is a top four list now? Or to be given the opportunity to build the list back up to that point, and um, if it's the latter, I, would they have still extended his contract? That's a very good question because the idea that of the contract that was put forward, that two years, is pretty much one of those deals that says yes, we're going to you know try to alleviate the pressure, but it's also saying this is the job you started, you're going to finish it, type type of sense, which makes it interesting. Is it in finishing the job of getting the list back up? Or is it saying the list is ready? You've, you know, this is the time to go on with it, and that seems like what the club looked to recruit like in the off season. But they're certainly, unfortunately, not playing like they are recruit that they did recruit to aim for a flag. Hmm. It's a bit different to see. I think I, I said this to you a few weeks ago. 
it doesn't really matter how you view the list. It, it, it ultimately falls with beverage because you can interpret the list as one of two ways. Either the list is not good enough in terms of the list that's been built is not good enough and that's on beverage or that the list is good enough and the coach isn't able to get the most out of it, which is also on beverage. My question, my question here, and it's not that I'm saying this is a, to happen or that we're requesting this to happen. I'm just putting it forward. Hypothetically, this week is a, uh, what are we doing? We're playing Frio. Okay. Let's yep. just pretend this is round. Let's pretend this is round one. Okay. We're in a fresh new season and we have a new coach. Just state. I'm not saying we're getting one, but I'm just saying okay, yep, yep, we have a new coach on the rise. Or pretend this is Luke Beveridge's first ever game back in charge for us. What is the mindset within this team? Is it, you know, release the shackles? Is it, let's see what we can do? Are we trying to say, screw this, you know, we're, we're a good side. It doesn't matter what people tell us, we're going to win this. It's interesting to see. Where do you think a new coach's perspective would see the team currently at at this stage? I think it would be in a similar sort of reign to what uh, the very best version of Luke Beveridge would be, which is that we're on the road, we're on our own, we're against the might of the Fremantle uh, football club in terms of its players and its fans. At a, in a hostile environment, let's go out there and shut them up. Luke Beveridge, at his best, managed to get the players to do that. I mean, we saw it in 2016. He did it to uh, he, he did it to West Coast in uh, at Subiaco. He did it in 2020. Ambush coming. Yeah, he did it in 2021 against Brisbane up at the up at the Gabba. Not not exactly. A l- little bit different. But it was an us against them sort of thing, and he managed to make it work. And we've seen him do it a, a number of times on the road as well. I think if that was the case, and it's it's very difficult to it's a very difficult question to answer. But I think that's when mm. this group of players has been at their best when they've gone into it with that sort of attitude and mindset. Mm. Interesting to see. I wonder. I wonder. We do have an interstate record problem. We've lost four. Of our last five, the only win coming in round 23 last year. We've also lost seven of our past 11 games outside of Melbourne, where we've only defeated Hawthorne last year, Gold Coast and Ballarat, the Giants up in Sydney, and a very much uh, cooked West Coast. Odyssey and Oracle asks, it feels like the current Bulldogs team, at least in the last couple of years, has an issue with consecutive goals against. Do you know where the Bulldogs sit in the league over the last two years with this stat? It's a it's a very it's a very vague stat this one because consecutive goals is obviously any time the opposition kicks two or more. I think mm. there were some numbers came out about runs of four goals or more recently, and I think in the yes, last couple of years we were, the, we were the third worst. According to that, I said I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but I do remember saying yes that we were listed the worst. Sorry, we were just a bit better than North Melbourne and West Coast from twenty twenty two onwards, but that pretty much effectively is yes, we're the third worst side. And that we've considered the sorry the third most or plus goal runs, which is even worse than you know consecutive goals. Yeah, and then just finally one from Dan Cosdan uh, asks us: uh, Is it underrated how much balance Josh Brutes brings to the side? Now, the defense didn't look as balanced without him after three quarter time, and well, now he's well, he'll certainly be out for a stretch of time. We was yet to know exactly how long. Keith mm. and Gardner are waiting in the wings. Would you bring back one or both? And if it's only one, who? 
it depends on the role then, isn't it? Because what is the role that Bruce was playing? That's what's going to have to happen. Do we say to Jones, you're our best one-on-one player now, you're now Keith to play the Jones role, or do you sacrifice, say, Keith and Gardner and allow Jones to do as he please in that sense? It's who out of those two players or Jones is capable of filling in the physical role of, you know, guerrilla defender in that sense. Who are, you, who are you most confident in saying, yes, we're going to put you on the absolute monstrosity that we're coming up against this week? Well, that, for that, instance, that, or that, next week or the week after that. That's an easy answer, I think. I think that's Keith. That's what I reckon is the case. Yeah, I, I don't. Like Gardner is a very good defender and has improved a lot in the last couple of years, but he's not a guerrilla defender. Mm, so he's battling Gar- the position for Tim O'Brien then. Yeah. Amazing what's happened to Gardner. He signed a three year deal at the start of the season, which, I mean, People thought was excessive. I mean, I probably yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be inclined to agree, but I could understand it because I thought he was the best twenty-two player. Who were not? To, I don't think we were talking about a fringe player. We were talking about someone who, when fit, plays. Mm. And he had that elbow injury. Now he hasn't been able to get back in, and I, I just can't mm. understand what's, what's wrong there. Hasn't had a great start to his VFL uh, this season, and that's you know for a number of reasons. Of course, you know, probably a bit of confidence as well. Mm. It'll take him a little bit of time with that shoulder, but. We've had other French players in the past that have signed, you know, lengthy deals. We saw Shaki at the end of 2019, who still had a deal for 2020, and then look what happened to him. Yeah. We had Mitch uh, Wallace in 2018 signed a three-year deal, and you know he was struggling to play it out by the end of his, you know, by the end of those particular seasons. Um, but at the time, Wall- well Wallace, Wallace had played most of 2018, if I've got that right. Yeah, as, played, had, as had gone, as had Shaki, yeah, as Shaq, had a couple of other options. Shaki so. had played most of the last half of 2019, but not necessarily the first half. But Garner has no, been... No, he played, what, three of the first eight games or nine games or whatever yeah, it was. I think, I think, yeah, something like that. And then he played from round 14 onwards, I think. He might have missed one game with concussion or something like that. Yep. But uh, Garner has played most of the last two years. Played most of 2022. He played in 2021 when he was fit. Well, he picked up a couple of shoulder injuries, but that, that was the key. When he was fit, he played. And in, in the second half of 2020, he slowly, I mean, he had a shock at a start that he played that hip game against Hipwood, midway point, but he improved every week from then. It's a surprise to see a fit Gardner not playing. It is a surprise because it will, history will tell you that he has played in the AFL when he's been fit. He's not played in the VFL. He's gone straight into the senior side. So it was a shock when he was fit to, to play that they didn't put him in the AFL side straight away. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably just more making sure that he feels comfortable, I reckon, in that shoulder, because that's what I think it's probably to do with. But we'll see how we go. Well, that's going to be just about it for another episode of the Salty Bullock. It's, it's been a good one. Has it been, hasn't quite been an inquest episode. But it's been an enjoyable no. one. I think we've managed yeah, we to thrash out. We have to pick, and, out... choose our, uh, pick yeah. and choose our weeks to throw that in, I reckon. Hopefully we don't have to have one of those inquest episodes for a long time. Otherwise otherwise they lose their they they lose their impact if every episode after a loss is an inquest episode. But I think we managed to get a few things off of our chest, a few things we picked up from the game at the weekend that stood out in, in varying different ways. Uh I'll be, I'll be teaming up with Duck from the Purple Rain this week. Uh, it'll just be me. Uh, for, for this one, we'll be doing a, a special collaboration with them later in the week. Uh, so keep a, keep eyes and ears peeled for that on the social media pages. Nick, you'll be off partying as you do during the week. 
Oh, yeah, yes, yes, definitely. I'm a party. <laughs> no, no, we've got a, uh, just a nice little work function which I have to attend, which is uh, more, than, more than fine to do. So uh, say hello to the duck for me, and mm-hmm. we'll see how we go. Hopefully it uh, goes a bit better than our uh, the preceding match that followed last time that we had a conversation with him, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, well, I'm sure he'll be asking me about, uh, about Rory Lobb. To all of our listeners... Thank you for, for tuning in once again. Of course, the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube as well for Salty Baller TV, the website, www.thesaltyballer.wixsite.com forward slash home. A big thank you to everyone from South Australia as well. I've got to, got to mention for the hospitality over the weekend, both at the Adelaide Oval, the Akaba Hotel where we stayed. We're not uh, promoting this, but I just want to say thanks. It was an excellent weekend. And, and it says a lot that we're saying that after coming off a, of a dog's loss, that we still yes. enjoy our time. Put aside, put aside the loss. It was a really, really enjoyable time. No, it, it, was, it was fantastic. And I look forward to doing it again next year and for the next three years in, in Adelaide. But to all of our listeners, thank you for joining in. We look forward to having you tune, tune in to join us again next week. But until then, take care.